banks in Australia are introducing anti-scam measures to better protect customers. But advocates here say we are way behind the eight ball. An estimated $200 million each year is lost by Kiwis to scams. With the Banking Ombudsman's latest report putting complaints about scams up 43% on the year before, the Banking Association says it's progressing towards establishing a national anti-scam centre and has indicated it'll have more information in April. It declined a request for an interview this morning. But financial commentator Janine Starks, who's advocating for a group of bank customers scammed out of millions of dollars, says the banking industry's taking too long to respond and she is calling for a government inquiry. The Banking Ombudsman has just issued preliminary findings into a number of complaints about the high-profile Citibank term deposit scam, recommending the BNZ partially reimburse two of the victims, but other cases were not successful. Janine Stark says government intervention is urgently needed to bring the sector into line and to follow the examples of Australia and the United Kingdom, which she says are streets ahead in terms of their use of technology to block scams. She's with us in a moment. But first, what anti-scam measures have been introduced in Australia and how are they working? Stephanie Tonkin's Chief Executive of the Australian Consumer Action Law Centre, which has, along with the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, AECCC, continued to push for change. Stephanie, thanks for being with us this morning. Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. What's the scale of the bank scam issue in Australia? Oh, it is massive and incredibly harmful uh, to ordinary Australians uh, like um, like people around the world. So in 2022, we had reported $3 billion lost to scams just in that year. Uh, investment scams were um, well high on that list, um, as well as other phishing scams, uh, romance scams, all sorts of different scams um, involving Uh, digital platforms um, and also calls where scammers are impersonating um, their banks um, and, of course, text messages. We can see the challenge and it keeps moving and it'll only keep moving with deep fakes and voice uh, mimicking and everything else. So let's look at the efforts to combat. What measures have been introduced in Australia, Stephanie? Sure. So... um, you know, there's been a long, long history of scams in this country. I was looking back over the reports and our regulator, the ACCC, they released their first uh, report on scams back in um, 2008 or 2009, uh, where $70 million was lost. Um, and so the regulator has been, um, you know, quite forward in, in disseminating that information. They're receiving the complaints um, as well. Our organisation, we were receiving loads of calls from people um, who were just helpless. And when you're a victim of a scam and money has been taken from your bank account, the natural place you go is to your bank and you seek reimbursement. Um, after all, the bank's systems have been breached. The bank is there to keep your money safe um, and the money has been um, stolen from you, from a criminal, sometimes international. So um, so people were having no luck going to their banks. And what we realised was there's a, you know, there's a big gap in laws. Um, and we did look over to our friends in the UK, uh, and they're miles ahead of us. They've had um, for over five years now a voluntary reimbursement code for banks, um, where there's effectively a, a presumption of reimbursement. 
um, and that's being mandated now in October this year. Um, all the banks and payments platforms will um, will have to meet that code and those laws and um, reimburse um, people for their losses. How is that tested? Because often we hear from complainants that the bank says, you must have given away your PIN or you must have given away your code or you must have done this or done that. And how has that onus been reversed in the UK? Yeah, so in the UK it's been reversed by putting it very clearly in the legislation. Um, But uh, something I wanted to touch on um, is that there's a very different culture over there around scams. So even in the media when you see it reported, um, there's, there's, there's little blame for the victim going on over there. And so there's an, there's an acceptance um, that the bank will reimburse um, the customer and that can, that's shared um, 50% between sending bank and receiving bank and that's important, um, something we don't have here yet in Australia. Um, whereas in Australia, um, certainly a year ago, uh, a lot of the, the stories and a lot of the narrative coming out of the banks uh, was don't click on links, you know, you need to educate yourself. Um, And certainly our clients were reporting to us being told, there's nothing we can do, you shouldn't click on links, you shouldn't have responded and handed over your credentials. Um, And therefore, the laws we do have around fraud wouldn't apply uh, because the the payment's deemed authorised. Let's look at some of the sophistication that's causing a rethink mm. on, oh, you must have given out information. The, the, the Citibank <clears throat> scam here is one that Janine will talk about in a moment, one that there has been a preliminary ruling on from the Ombudsman. Mm. And the, the issue that this really highlighted is the absence of the confirmation of payee system here. Mm. I think it is being, what stage is it at in being introduced in Australia? And just explain how it works, Stephanie. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, uh, agree. Uh, sophistication. Individuals are near, it's near impossible for an individual to detect a scam these days, particularly with synthetic voice and AI and everything, the complexity. Um, Confirmation of payee was introduced in the UK. It's a measure by which when you enter in the details of um, the account or the person you're sending money to, those credentials are checked against the name as well as the BSB and account number. It's checked and it confirms whether who you say you're sending to is is actually the account receiving. Um, and so that's not going to fix all scams, but for example, um, false billing scams where uh, scammers have gotten in and changed the details on an invoice in an email, for example, um, those sorts of scams it's expected will go right down and that's what they saw over in the UK. And in Australia, the banks have pledged through a scams accord to do this Um, and, you know, because there has been a lot of pressure on the banks um, from government and groups like us and the media to do much more, Um, but that's not going to be rolled out entirely until late 25, it's predicted. So, um, in the meantime, billions of dollars are just being lost um, and victims have no nowhere to go. But in the case of the Citibank scam here, and again, you'll have similar, it, it, it would it have flagged that because the banks would have known that the account the funds were going to, this is you know, a very sophisticated kind of prospectus, there's plenty of those around, the banks would have known that the account that those funds were being transferred to, via a mule from memory, was simply not a credible Citibank account. It, would, would, would this measure, when it is rolled out, would it make a big difference in many instances, Stephanie? In many instances, yes. But with that particular case, I'm not entirely sure. So 
uh, often scammers groom their victims. Um, so they'll say, oh, well, when you transfer the money, you'll see this name pop up. Um, and that's all fine. That's just because of yeah. X, Y, and Z. So you, you, not for certain. But what you were describing was banks should have their systems. They should be detecting if there's a mule account, there should be a flag coming up. They've got the resources in, in Australia. You know, they're earning billions and billions of dollars in profits in a cost of living crisis. There's money and resources there to invest in the systems to prevent and disrupt scams. Um, but the thing that our government here as well is doing, which I think is welcome, is taking a look at the ecosystem as well. So in addition to imposing laws and rules on banks, they're looking as well to regulating the platforms and the telco companies with respect to scams. So I, I do think that's the right approach yeah. because, you know... Look, we, yeah. we've, we've heard the same thing. The banks tell us it's going to involve all of us getting our technology sorted. It's going to involve privacy issues. We're going to have to work with the telcos as well. Um, and, yes, all of that makes sense, but couldn't that have started quite some time ago, I suppose, is, is the issue. They're also very keen on this anti-scam centre, which I think is is where all of these relationships might uh, might sort of connect. What's the status mm -hmm. of yours in Australia? Sure. So ours opened its doors uh, mid-year last year, in July. Um, it's been fantastic in bringing together uh, all of the different players in the ecosystem, Intel sharing, um, and there have been a few pilots of, uh, of fusion cells that are disrupting certain online scams, and they've been quite a success. So it's about information sharing at this point. Um, they also hold some of the data um, and, and communicate that. Um, and there's emerging issues groups as well. Um, but it, it is very much in that, that sort of advisory and discussion communication phase. Um, the regulation is where the rubber hits the road. Uh, and for consumers, they still need to be able to go to their bank and in a simple way, access reimbursement for their scams losses. Back to that issue again, though, and I'm interested as to how the UK's dealt with this again, because as I understand it, you still have to prove you've not been negligent, right? Um, so what's the process? Where, where in the system is that determined? Yeah, so I, look, from my understanding, I believe it's a presumption. So, so right. some... Basically, the banks will reimburse unless there's been gross negligence. So that would look like the bank has called you up and had a conversation and said, this is a romance scam. And and the, the victim would say, you're, you're nuts. I don't believe you. Um, I'm transferring the money. Uh, that might be an example. Um, although it's a high threshold for someone um, who meets the definition of vulnerable group. Um uh, or if someone's complicit in the scam, um, that would also be an exclusion to that or, or a rebuttal to that presumption of reimbursement. Uh, and the banks that have signed up to the voluntary code, uh, they reimbursed uh, last year 66% of scams losses. To contrast that, uh, in Australia, the major four banks reimbursed just 2 to 5% of scam losses. So until you're going to have a strong rule of law uh, forcing um, banks um, or a voluntary code of the banks are willing to sign up, but we say it needs to be mandatory. They've had their chance. Uh, you're not going to see any sort of shift in the dial um, with this tidal wave of, of, of scam activity in the country. What else do you want to see happen in Australia? 
Well, I I believe the narrative around victim blaming has shifted um, and that's because of the extraordinary work of scams victims coming forward and sharing their story in the media. Last year we took, uh, last week, sorry, we took uh, six uh, people, clients of ours um, and friends of our centre to Canberra to meet with politicians to talk to them about their experiences. It was very clear that uh, they weren't careless. Uh, the scams were sophisticated and impossible to detect and they lost life-changing amounts of money through no fault of their own. So I'd really love to see the narrative around this change. Uh, but just this weekend, again, there was a story in one of our papers and, you know, the bank was made to look like the victim um, in the scenario and the, the message from the bank was, if you're making an online payment, you should make a phone call and, and double check that you're, you're, you're sending the payment to the right place. And, you know, it shouldn't be on the consumer. The banks have the resources, the data, uh, everything to be able to detect and prevent scams from taking place. What about your complaints body uh, there? Who who deals with complaints um, and uh, w- w- what happens here? It's an ombudsman, um, but I think the whole Correct. system ultimately yeah. is funded by the banks. Is is, is it similar yes. there? And is are there any issues with that? Yeah. So we uh, same thing. We have the Australian Financial Complaints Authority. So um, a person after trying internally to raise a complaint, if that's not successful. They can go to the Ombudsman um, for external dispute resolution. Uh, same thing, funded by the banks. Um, and sadly, we've seen, we reviewed the past couple of months of, of scams cases and the absence of laws means it's just uh, 8% of cases being determined in the favour of the scams victim. Unfortunately, uh, all of the cases are being determined in the in the favour of the banks. And even like you um said at the top, even saying, well, even though the victim is saying they didn't hand over any credentials, they don't know how the scam has happened, um, which we often see, um, it's still being determined that they must have handed over their credentials and therefore the bank isn't liable. So we've got a huge shift to make. Um, and I think once we have laws and clear direction from government in place, then hopefully our ombudsman will be able yep. to take and, and just remind me, are those legislative changes in train there, Stephanie? It's it's early days. We've yeah. just had the consultation from our Treasury. Um, we're looking at maybe end of this year, maybe spilling over into next year, plus we've got an election at that time. So fingers crossed we get something in sooner. Thank you, Stephanie Tonkin, um, who uh, was with us there uh, from uh, Australia, where she works. Uh, she's Chief Executive of the Australian Consumer Action Law Centre and has continued to push for changes there. Janine Starks is with us, financial commentator, former fund manager, advocating on behalf of a group of Citibank scam victims here and calling for a government inquiry. Good morning, Janine. Good morning. Just listening in, it doesn't sound like they're a hell of a lot further ahead of us in Australia, actually, and several listeners making the point that most of our banks are Australian-owned. So will it be that we might see some of these moves introduced here and then sort of piggybacked? Uh, in New Zealand, what what do you see happening in terms of actual change, Janine? Well, I hope you're right. They're they're not much more ahead of us, but they're 
and, and, and other ways they are, um, it, you know, they've already got um, a whole framework out for banks, telcos and digital platforms to adhere to. They're suggesting that there's going to be $50 million fines or that the, the banks lose 30% of their turnover during the breach. They've, they've got some good groundwork done over there. Um, but what you're seeing is it hasn't quite filtered through into action yet, but they are, you know, way ahead of us in terms of that groundwork. Um, is it being promised here? Like, uh, this is the other situation. The banks say we're working on it. It's complicated. There's privacy issues. We need new technology. We want an anti-scam centre, on and on. Do you see that merely as talk, or do you see or believe that is actual real progress happening here? No, there's no real progress. And they, they're playing that game of just don't blink first. So, you know, we have a fraud working group in, in government. We have a finance and expenditure committee that came out with some just suggestions last year that we should follow the contingent repayment model of the UK. Um, they're all suggestions uh, they want the Bankers' Code of Practice updated. So our government has made some recommendations. The banks just have to sit there and do nothing. There is nothing in law. They are self-regulated in this area. So the Financial Markets Authority and the Reserve Bank can't touch them here. They're sitting here in a self-regulated environment. The government makes a few recommendations through their Finance and Expenditure Committee and they just sit and stare. So what would change that? The, the, the Reserve Bank does have some regulatory oversight of banks, but I think it's more to do with stability of the, of the, of the yeah. financial system. And some, some money laundering as All well. Right. So stability of the system and money laundering. So yep. what, from, what, from a regulatory point of view, specifically what do you want to see happen here that you believe will force their hand? Well, we need a payment systems regulator like the UK who can give specific directions. So that means you must do this. And that's what they do over there. They, have, um, they don't just re- you know, rely on the Consumer Guarantees Act. That is proving to be a, a playground for Weasley lawyers at the moment. Um, you know, it's, it's just not specific enough and they're finding their way around it. So you know, if we could get something like a payments systems regulator and we could have mandated laws in place like the UK, the contingent repayment model, where you know you were talking about it earlier, um, a customer has to be negligent. And negligence is a very high bar. You actually have to say override something like the confirmation of payee warning where the name and account number don't match and you say, oh well it doesn't matter, let's just go with it. It's that kind of level. Carelessness is not negligence. So, you know, their system is a very good one. I hope they run with that. The Australians don't appear to be going down that path. Um, And I would say that that was because of some very good lobbying from Anna Blythe, who's um, a politician who now appeared on the Australian Bankers Association. And, you know, that's a real win for them to try and not have the UK system introduced. Our Finance and Expenditure Committee have indicated they'd like to see it introduced, but, you know, goodness knows what happens when the lobbyists get their wallets out and the banks get their wallets out and employ the lobbyists. Uh, you know, that that could go. So we, we need to watch this space really, really carefully because the outcomes from our banking ombudsman are not good at the moment. Well, let's talk about that and what you've seen so far for in the Citibank case that has been considered. Some preliminary decisions out that have, uh, in a couple of instances, found some bank liability. Could you just talk us yeah. through, succinctly if you would, Janine, the, the thrust of the scam as an illustration of sophistication 
and where the system might have been able to stop it. Okay, so you mean the scam itself in terms of how, how they got you to part with your money? I, I guess so, and, and the particular weaknesses it highlighted. Yes, right. So it, these are for, on one hand, the banks like to call them sophisticated because it tries to take the blame off them. They're not particularly sophisticated. They are flawless scams, I would call them. So if you put your name into a website and say, yes, I'd like a call back about where the best term deposit rates are, that is a legitimate thing that financial advisors around New Zealand have always done for people. And we call them comparison websites. So you put your name into one of these, you get a call. They say they're from a broker or they say they're from Citibank or HSBC, you know, and they tell you the best rates. Now, the they produce a prospectus, wonderful marketing material. They have a website. They have English accents. The whole experience for you is exactly like you are talking to a financial professional. Um, I found one of these scams the other day where they were imitating a New Zealand company that didn't have much of a presence, but it was regulated by our financial markets authority. It had a New Zealand business number. You know, it um, was on the company's office website. So if you did some due diligence on it, you'd find they exist. So this is how they managed to, to convince you. But then you get to the door of your bank. You've got to pay these people money. And the, the, the scammers are targeting the flaws in our banking system, the holes. So what that big hole is at the moment is confirmation of payee, that there's no name check. You put in an account number, you don't know that it's not going to Citibank, and it actually disappears to Mickey Mouse in some city in New Zealand. You can't see that that's happening because the bank can't tell you. And how, do, do they, how does the bank... How does the bank know? This, this is the other matter. Yeah. Do, they, do the banks need to relate to each other? Obviously, you need some pretty high-speed computing because there are God knows how many transactions, millions of transactions happening all the time, right? But is it possible? Uh, what kind of relationship do the banks need to say there is no way that is a Citibank bank account number? Yes, they, they can, even though we've got incredibly antiquated systems, the Australians are five years ahead of us, the, the UK's 15 years ahead of us. We've got very old banking systems here. and But despite that, they can overlay a name check on top of the old system. They just put all their data together in the centre and it, it disappears into what they call an API, an application um, and it's instantaneous. interface. It's yes, instantaneous. And, and it can come back. So you can overlay that on the top. Um, is so it a hundred million dollars worth of technology investment that I'm reading about in Australia? It, will it will it be a sum of investment? And can it? Yes, quickly? it will be an investment. But look at the size of the profits uh-huh. that they're making, and that is the. And when you've got no liability for fraud, there is no profit in security. So what is the incentive to put these things in place? And the New Zealand banks have dragged the chain. In 2018, they said they would put this confirmation of payee in, and they then came out and just dropped it. And they said, if the fraud environment worsens, we'll do it. Well, the fraud environment worsened the day after they said that, the day after they said that, it keeps on going. And they've just ignored their responsibility um, as, you know, a a huge organisations in New Zealand where we give them the social licence to run our bank accounts. Okay, I was reading this morning of the accused money mule uh, in one case. In other words, that account, the money was transferred to... um, there was, I think, about um, nine others. After after the fraud was reported, yes, there were nine yes. others with that. With that and and I can hear the banks case. now saying yep. accused but not proven guilty or whatever. But a suspicious bank account could be 
uh, one would have thought could have been frozen, at least in the interim. All right. Janine, you, you mentioned yes. the banking ombudsman. Is it similar to Australia? What, what are your issues... What are your issues with the system for investigating complaints? Right, it's it's just not broad enough. So the ombudsman is restricted in their scope of what they can look at. For example, you just mentioned a money mule. The ombudsman has turned down all of the complaints about the mule banks. They're not allowed to hear them. And the basis for that is that when you make a payment that you haven't got a service from the bank, the receiving bank, the Mules Bank. Well, in my view, the last time I looked at payments technology and after 30 years in the banking industry, a payment involved two banks. You can't, you can't finish in the middle. Your bank sends the money. The receiving bank has to put it in the right account and monitor that account. So a complete payment involves a getting a service from two banks, yet the ombudsman refuses to hear cases against the banks harbouring criminal money mules. Now that, in other territories like the UK, they split the liability between those two banks. They've got that in law. Our ombudsman even you know, just refuses to hear it, says that the terms of reference that they operate under aren't broad enough. I would argue that. I've looked at their terms of res- you know, reference. I've gone back to them last week asking them more please explain questions on that. So it's going to be interesting to see some of the answers that we get out of that. Just finally, you believe this is at a level where a government inquiry is needed to kick things along? It is, because we've got some really terrible uh, results coming out of the Ombudsman scheme now. They're, They're basically... You know, well, what's your government I, inquiry into? Is it into the scheme or is it into a, the wider issue? The, of wi- the whole, the, the whole, issue? the entire issue. But I want them to look at if I just bring this down to two people on the street. So we have one victim, and and I'll name the people. They've been named publicly. One, one is Carla, and another is called Joe. And if we look at the outcome for them from the ombudsman, and we get down to whether they got their money back. Carla walked into a branch. She had a piece of paper that said she was trying to pay Citibank via an ASB account. So she had that written down on the payment instruction. Because a teller was able to look at that, the ombudsman found that was a red flag. You don't normally pay Citibank via an an alternative bank like ASB. And her own bank didn't see that. So they've held them responsible because the human... Failed, but in the other case of Joe, she lost three hundred and fifty thousand. The ombudsman said because she used internet banking and wrote Citibank on the internet banking form, and you know typed it in, yeah. her bank doesn't have to repay because her the there money. Because there was no, there was no intermediary, and the point there was is no there should be an intermediary. It. It's called, well, um, it's called uh, number checking and, and name checking. Yes, and, okay. and and training an algorithm to look at your system. But the you know I don't believe the ombudsman can differentiate between those two systems. Carla and Joe both deserved their money back. The, okay. They both notified their bank they were investing with Citibank. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that is Janine Starks. Uh, we invited the ombudsman on today. Uh, she declined. I will just read uh, some of the comments from the statements. Most of the investment scam cases being discussed in the media are still under investigation. We've issued our preliminary views and provided the parties with an opportunity to respond as per our usual process. It would not be appropriate for me to comment on these cases. We're deeply concerned about the increase in scam complaints, the increasing sophistication and the losses caused. We agree more could and should be done to prevent scams. Indeed, we've been calling for a review of the Consumer Protection Framework for some time. Ultimately, this is a matter for regulators and Parliament to consider. 
And talking about the banks themselves, although some positive steps have been taken by tank banks, more is needed to address the growing scourge of scams. Uh, she provided more detail in terms of a framework, including banks needing to introduce confirmation of pay systems, amongst other things.